We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Best game of the season for Arsenal as they are able to both relegate Watford and make Mike Dean miserable. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Yeah, Troy Deeney goes down. So uh, how how are those cojones holding up for him? And Mike Dean has to swallow nails as he is forced to give us a penalty uh, by being overruled by VAR. And if you have not seen the images of the face he made when uh, VAR confirmed to him that he would have to give that penalty, ooh, he did not like it. And... Uh, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. So two good outcomes from one game that was drunk. Is that the best way to describe it? Very last game of the season fair. Uh, We will pick it apart with an eye towards the cup final and maybe not get too bogged down in getting worked up about uh, some of the issues within the game. But we'll see. Sometimes we just bog down nonetheless. So Tim's here. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Wife steadfastly refusing to uh, (laughs) get you on a paternity leave. I think it's baby steadfastly refusing Fair at enough, this yeah. stage yeah, she's yeah. very prepared well said uh clive's on twitter at clive pfc hello clive hello, hello as far as you're aware you are not anticipating the birth of a child so you know unless... i laughed on it to my stomach <laughs> you might make different that's something to do still a while nothing else <laughs> fair enough <laughs> i i uh spent the night uh with a teething baby of my own so tim seven months from now let me know how it's going anyway um so first things first i, I think You know, it's easy to get worked up about Arsenal because, you know, we're Arsenal fans and that's what we do. This game was a little bit silly. I think there were certainly issues of professionalism about how we approached Arteta after the game conceded that, like, maybe players were trying a little too hard to get Aubameyang his golden boot. Um, So there was a lot of that going on. 
let me start with you, Tim, just on a lineup question, because I have been reliably informed by Clyde that he does not want to discuss those things. <laughs> um, do you believe that this lineup was picked with an eye towards the cup final, or do you think for the most part it was just what he decided to throw out there in the moment, maybe one or two in there for for sharpness, but how, how much of a bearing do you think this lineup had on what he was planning to do for next weekend? So I, I think a little bit. I think a lot of it was tune up. Um, and, and look, so with the cup final 11, I think we know who eight of the players are going to be, basically. I think the we know who the front three is going to be. We know who the midfield two is going to be. We know who the goalkeeper is going to be. We know who probably two of the centre-halves are going to be. It's around the wing-backs and maybe that third centre-half where there's a bit of doubt. Mm. So I, I guess those are the kind of areas that you look at. Um, Maitland-Niles... Um, I think that that might have been some kind of audition. I appreciate that Bellerin had a tight calf, but, you know, Cedric can't play next week. So uh, if that wasn't an audition of sorts, whether Arteta's made his mind up or not, whether he wants to play Maitland-Niles, if he'd made his mind up not to, he'd have just played Cedric because mm. he can't play and you just throw him out there and to hell with it. So that 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 had to be a look at him. Um, in in some respects, uh, whether you know, and look, the, the interesting thing about Maitland Niles is he can play left wing back or right wing back, um, and so there's you know there's potentially a question there. So I, I think that was a little part of it. I think the area where this was very much a test drive beyond just the tune up was the thing we tried to do with the midfield, and we've talked a lot about how when you have three central defenders that effectively takes away a midfielder. If you've got three forwards and three central defenders that takes a midfielder and that has caused us problems um, in the last few weeks. I think it's, it's a bit whack-a-mole. You take one away from one area. There's an area of need somewhere else. So I think what he tried to do in this game and one of the things that really contributed to it being a real basketball game and not just because Watford really had something to go for and decided to just throw all their forwards at it, um, which I actually don't think was that bad an idea, to be fair to them, um, was I think we tried to do this thing where we tried to make Xhaka, you know, do the role that Fernandinho's done quite a bit at City, where in possession he's a midfielder and out of possession he's a third centre-half. Um, and I think we experimented with that and we experimented with the idea of Willock being, um, you know, that, that midfielder who tangentially at least links the midfield to the attack. So really what we did, I think, was we put Ceballos in the middle and just said, you're the midfielder, Xhaka, you're the midfielder come defender, and Willock, you're the midfielder come attacker because we need, you know, a bit more unpredictability and jeopardy um, in, in, in the final third. And mm. when you look at the, the penalty we get, Again, look where Willock is when that cross comes in. He is right at centre forward. So, and that's in the first couple of minutes of the game. So he was obviously told um, to, you know, really help supplement the attack and make those runs to to pull Watford out of position a bit. I think what ended up happening was it became too stretched. It was like wet tissue paper, and Xhaka was too close to the defence, and Willock was too close to the attack, and we ended up with just no midfield at all. And there was one point. I think maybe when it was 1-0 still, where there was a Watford player, maybe their right back had the ball. And I looked at the centre of the screen and I laughed because I was just like, there is no one in the centre circle, even though like players building and we're at the stage where the, the ball's in the like on the on the halfway line, albeit mm -hmm. 
over on the right-hand side for Watford. There is literally no one in the centre circle. It's a big hole in the middle of the pitch. So I, I think he experimented with that. I, I don't think that's what he's going to do at Wembley. I think he had a look at it, um, probably decided it didn't really work. And I think it was telling that in the end, he just bought Kolasinac on and, and went and lent right back into that back three. So <laughs> I think that was an experiment and it was worthwhile, but it probably didn't work. Yeah, and I think... If you had to point to reasons it didn't work, I think there are various reasons, and and I'd like to get to them now, and then we'll we'll go back to some of the good stuff. But Clive, I think I can't believe I'm going to say this. Boy, are we going to miss Mustafi? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, look, David Luiz just set a record for penalties being given away. Um, we know who Luiz is. There's not a lot of uncertainty there. Uh, he could have a day like he had against Man City where he's man of the match, and he can have days where he just switches off entirely. Uh, and you just have to hope that on cup final day, he switches on, and you would think he would. Rob Holding, on the other hand, a player coming back from a long-term injury, so you want to be patient with him. But I distinguish it from Bellerin in this respect. We know the level Bellerin could hit before the injury. He was a pretty darn good player. And we were pretty sure of that, I think. Yeah, I know we divided opinion, but but a player with a pretty high level coming back from a long-term injury and now just sort of starting to get back to that level, in my opinion. Rob Holding, I don't think we really know what his level was before the injury. And since the injury, he definitely has not hit a level that reassures me. And so I guess as you look at that center back pairing, and in particular Rob Holding, you know, do you think that the the liability there alone is a reason we can't play a back four in the cup final and specifically with respect to holding how much does he worry you based on the way he's playing right now yeah well you know my thoughts on on rob holding i'm afraid um athletically mechanically i think he's struggling and i think he'll always struggle because that's who he is there was an article out about liverpool's first 11 been able to be out there 93 percent of the time I was talking to a guy online and we both said it's because of their athletic mechanics. They're all very natural runners. When you're a natural runner within your sort of limit, you pick up injuries less. Right? So you ain't got to look at the Liverpool team with your own eyes. Look at how they move. Look at how they run. Look how their feet hit the floor. Look at their dynamism. Look at their basis, their base game. It's built on athleticism. Then yeah, you sprinkle in a huge level of technique on top, and, mm. and guess what? You got you got a great side, right? So you look at some of our players, even the ones who got injured, mechanically they're not the best. You know, Bellerin's a very stiff runner, holding and and you heard me say it before. His feet they point outward when he's running. His shoulders are not strong. His upper body is not powerful. He doesn't drive his legs. These are issues for me, and these these are issues that tell you a player's limit. So the holding situation where I always felt he was good was I thought when he initially came to the team, I thought his distribution and ability to manipulate the ball under pressure was really good. But he's just dropped away from that at the moment and he's trying so hard. He's trying to switch the play. He's trying to fizz the ball in. So he's giving it away going forward. He's beatable 50-50 going backwards. And so I think Arteta was looking at this I think he's trying to develop almost hybrid players. Right? So mm. Maitland-Niles is like a hybrid fullback midfielder. He's using Tierney in the same way as a hybrid centre-half, hybrid wing-back, hybrid left-back. He used Saka in the same way, developing another hybrid player, whether it be wing-back or left-eight or high up on the left-hand side. 
these hybrid players, like Shaka's another one, is really, I think, what he wants to do. And that's what I think he's going to do next year. And what that does is it allows you to in-game to really manipulate formations. And, and so really, as we're discussing the team, we should almost say who's going to play because then we can flip to systems anyway. So if Shaka plays, we're not right. We can easily go to a three. It won't be a great three, but it'll be a three. And then we can do that in-game. And then Tierney can push up, and the right back, the right wing back can push up. But I think the key thing for me is what we do with the the Willock type role. And I've got this little sneaky thing that Willock won't play in the Cup final, but but Saka may do. You know, and I think seeing him as that connection type player will be really interesting. I think he might just drop a a secret card on it. But mm. going back to your question, I think. Um, the back two as a two, David Louise is is saving himself. He's a smart guy. He'll be there for the cup final. He'll have he'll have his game. When he's in the room, he's very good. But Rob Holding, I'm really concerned about. So we have to hybrid Shaka and reduce that space. We have to. And um or we have to go back to a back three and it's richly fifty fifty. And what he's done, he's created a wonderful bit amount of doubt. So Chelsea are gonna have to prepare for two different systems and they are literally not sure what we're gonna do. Because we're not sure, and we watch every minute of every game. And so that's a good place to be from a preparation point of view. Arteta's created an upper hand while nicking three points from Watford. Yeah, look, the funny thing is, for the cup final, I I almost think playing a back four is fine, because I, I still feel that if they play Olivier Giroud instead of Tammy Abraham, like, don't get me wrong, anyone can score on Arsenal. That, that much is clear. I still think Giroud is a better matchup for us than Tammy Abraham, um, especially for Rob Holding. And I think where you worry is if he starts Pulisic, uh, you know, and, and Willian on the other wing, like that's where you worry about vulnerability. I don't think having a three of Louise, an out of position holding, because holding is normally the left center back, isn't he? Or am I getting that back? Yeah, but he'll be he'll be right on this occasion. Well, right. Um, because uh, uh, the left will be Tierney. Well, Kolasinac, Kolasinac, yeah. So, I mean, like, do I want Kolasinac starting? No. Do I want Rob Holding moved to the right? No. And then you've got Pulisic attacking Rob Holding in space? No, thank you. Like, so, I, I don't know, Tim. I mean, how do you feel about that? I almost feel like, as scary as it is, if you go with the back four and you let, maybe it is Maitland-Niles as a specialist, one-on-one defender, kind of try to take on the challenge of Pulisic in space, or it's Bellerin, um, you know, and you let Tierney, you know, pocket Willian, hopefully, like, then you just let the two center backs body body Giroud and hope that they can, you know, stay stay with him physically. But I don't know that holding in Kolasinac on either side of Louise being more tasked with having to play against those wingers in space makes me feel any more confident. So do you... Do you have a sense of, you know, maybe, maybe just maybe, given who plays for for Chelsea and where the threat comes from, that this system still might might be the better one? Yeah, maybe. I so th- this is quite difficult, but because actually the way Chelsea play, so uh, they play Willian on the right, right, and he goes outside and he looks for that front post to Giroud, and we know yeah. that Giroud is very very effective at doing that. So having an extra body in there to cut that out is not a bad idea that the thing they do on the left is Pulisic is really regarded as a dribbler and he is a very good one, but where he's, there's two things he's really dangerous at. We're going to have to be very mindful of 
He's very intelligent about when he decides to take people on. He doesn't just dribble all the time. He's very, very good at waiting for the overlap, which is going to be Alonso. Um, and again, like, but the other thing, because what Pulisic does is he judges a situation very well, depending on where he can drag a defender. He'll either go for the overlap for Alonso, um, if that's where the space is. But if it isn't, he's really good at dribbling inside and combining with Giroud and doing those things. That, again, we know Giroud can do those lovely soft feet in the area, bumping off one twos. Um, and I worry about that with a back four because that, increases the amount of space and given the amount of penalties we give away the thought of Giroud and Pulisic combining in that little half space where you know on Sunday we were undone by Danny Welbeck and <laughs> and whoever else in that area so so that that is a that is like a big area of concern but then the, the other area of concern for me is midfield because Chelsea will play with a 3 um, Chelsea, they, they have gone to three at the back um, on occasion, but they tried that at the Emirates and it didn't work. They went to a four, they sat Jorginho and they dominated the midfield. So what we're going to do, I think is quite obvious in that we'll sit Lacazette on Jorginho. He will be standing on Jorginho's toes for 90 minutes. Mm. They play Mason Mount as a bit more of a number 10. So broadly, Xhaka will deal with him. The one that worries me is Kovacic because potentially they have a spare man there. Even if we mark Jorginho out of the game, Kovacic is a bit like their Ceballos. And if you just put Ceballos on Kovacic, it leaves us very open on Pulisic's side. So you can get Ceballos in Kovacic's face, but then that just leaves loads of room on the left for Pulisic. And and so it kind of depends where you think um, we're better cutting off the danger. Do do you just put five defensive bodies in the area and try and crowd Pulisic and Giroud out? And actually a lot of our centre-halves are more comfortable doing that, I think. Or do you take perhaps the braver decision and look at it higher up and go, well, actually, if we go man for man on them in midfield and stop them and stop the supply then that's the way to do it. But obviously, if you if you don't stop the supply, then I think we're, we're a bit more exposed. So I, I have to say, I think that I would still, maybe because I'm an anxious person, I would still be more comfortable with the back three. Yeah, Cl- Clive, you want to follow up on that? Um, and we'll, we'll yeah. get to more from this match too, by the way. But obviously, I think everybody's focused on the cup final. Yeah, you know what? As I'm listening to Tim talk and I'm going back to the game in my mind, the more I think about it, the more I think this was a preview for the final. I think we're going to end up doing a 4-3-3. Now, Chelsea went three at the back against Manchester United in the in the semi-final. It worked better for them than it did for United, so they, they conned each other out of the game. Oli thought he was clever, and he ain't, really. So he, he blew himself up. So you know, I actually think we may go 4-3-3 because the midfield three of Chelsea is, is pretty, it's pretty good. But what you have to remember is we're trying to win a cup final here. And because we're naturally cautious, which we all are, we we saw Pulisic play in the in the, in the recent game. He looks quite sharp. You know what? Mason Mount could easily start because Frank loves him, right? So, and Pulisic will come on probably. So, if he starts, in, I will start Pulisic and I'll start Abraham. That's what I don't want to see. But they'll probably start Giroud. They'll probably start Mount, right? And they're winning on the other side. So that's what I want to see happen. Cause I think we can manage that. But most importantly, they're not very good at the back. We're trying to win a cup final, and if we can link to them to our front three who are in, in decent shape. Lacazette's got a great work rate. 
you know, Pepe's, you know, he's consistent, not consistently good, but consistent in a way where you always feel something could happen. And the Bam Young looks really sharp at the moment. Looks really sharp, incredibly hungry, and I think it's going to have an impact in this game. But I do think we probably need another midfielder just to create some jeopardy and the ability to send them back. If we sit there and wait for Chelsea's power, I think we're going to be in a bit of trouble, you know. But I do think once we can combine, they're defensively in midfield. They are incredibly average. But we must be brave. And this is my Saka thing. You must be brave. Have a three, also have a V, you know, Shaka at deepest, Tobias to the right, the right where Chelsea's best dribblers are, and Tobias is our better midfield defender at the moment, and have Saka combining to a Bamiyang. So now we create jeopardy for them. You know, so I, mm. the more I think about it, the more I think, you know what, we, we, we are heading towards this, potentially. Now, all of us in our hearts worry about our wonderful three-star hotel defenders. Yeah. We say, is it possible to have a back eight? <laughs> Would they notice? <laughs> right? so, um, and so it could go either way, but we ended the game with more or less a back three. I do think this is where we're going to end up going. But remember this, we're trying to win this game. And win it while competing in the middle of the pitch with an interior that's really got some ability and creativity. Think back to the game, the Villa game, I think that's left a little bit of a mark. If we want to control the game, not control it, but control the football and have maximum impact when we have it, I do think that third midfield and sort needs to be there. So, hey, we'll see what happens, right? I might change by tomorrow. <laughs> so, yeah. And yeah, go ahead. Can, mm-hmm. can I just add Please. like one sentence on that? Because I know we're going heavy on, on the cup final here. Yeah, why but not? I, I, I talked about, you know, Pulisic and Alonso combining on that overlap. And, and that is scary for Arsenal. But going the other way, Pepe versus Alonso. Um, Alonso, not great going backwards. Watch the last I don't think he'll minute. start, by the way. I, I really think it'll be Emerson. It was Emerson against us last mm. time. I think they know that that... Possibly, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Anyway, yeah. sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, look, look, look at the stoppage time uh, winner West Ham score against Chelsea just a fortnight ago. Alonso jogging back. Pulisic doesn't really come back. That You know, we're, we're talking here about where we don't lose the game, but that to me is where we win the game. Mm. I mean, what, Clive, do you, do you think that Alonso will start? Because I he, he started Emerson against us before, and when Alonso has played, I know he's scored some important goals against us, but we have torched them down that wing. Torched them. Yeah, I think I think he will start. Uh, in the games I've seen, he started most most of the important ones. And you know, there's another angle to this. If they were to go five at the back, they would be pretty. You know, they'd have some pretty big lumps in there. You know, could take us on set pieces, and set pieces is not our thing. And a simple set piece goal, Alonso would be another one who's really good in the air. That could be an issue. I think Alonso will play. Um, I think they'll. I just think. But it doesn't worry me about him playing because I agree with him absolutely. He is he he can only run downhill basically, and running back he's he's in trouble. So I do think by having the three fours we pin them, we pin them for sure. It's our ability to link that's where we struggle. But if we can get a couple of creators in there to link, not where they stand, just to punch the ball in to our to our two fours in particular. I tell you, we've got a chance here because I've been watching Chelsea closely and as soon as you go at them, they struggle. But if you allow them to build confidence, they look a really good side. So it's important we're not meek and passive and we're really proactive on the football. I think that will level the game out. Yeah. Um, Look, I I mean, I think that an approach like we took against Manchester City can work. And 
I, I do think that we are a team right now that can be more effective counterattacking than we can be trying to be in possession. I, I don't think we have the ability to dominate possession against anyone, really, let alone Chelsea. They'll have the extra body in midfield, as we've discussed. I think, you know, they have some high-volume passers in Jorginho and, and Kovacic. I think they are so vulnerable on the wings. I think if they play Alonso, they're even more vulnerable on the wings. And that defense is is leaky. And even if they're going to play big Willie Caballero, I, I don't think he's a world-class goalkeeper. If they play Kepa, all the better. So, yeah, to me, it's it's a, it's a repeat of the Manchester City scenario. And, and to be fair, was it really a back three against Man City? Or was it sort of a back four with Maitland-Niles in, in kind of a more free one-on-one defending role, you know, kind of like a, a roaming man, man-on-man defender. I, I think I think we can use a similar formation. I, I just, obviously, we'd rather have Mustafi than Holding, which, again, I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth. One thing I want to say about this game, Tim, is score effects, I think, took a little bit of an impact here. So we wound up conceding over four expected goals, which is bananas, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that's ridiculous. But the game turned into a a basketball game. It was so stretched. It was so back and forth. And you look at it, it was 3-0 Arsenal. At that point, I think their XG was like 0.4, something like that. It wasn't like they were battering us. You know, we're in control. It's the last game of the season. The only thing on the line is getting Aubameyang the golden boot. And I thought the structure and discipline went right out of the performance. I really do. Um, I I understand the reason for being concerned about how we kind of got battered towards the end. But don't you think it's possible that in a game where you're up 3-0, you're laughing, it's the final game, you got nothing on the line, you're trying to get your striker a golden boot, that it's easy to lose that professional edge, that control and that that discipline, and then not get it back? You know, I think once the game turns into sort of a silly up-and-down basketball game, it's hard to get your professionalism back. And Arteta kind of alluded to that in in his comments as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and when you look at how tough Arteta's been on, you know, the the famous non-negotiables, yeah, his 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 quote after the game really stuck out to me actually because this was the first time um where he'd come on, where he hadn't come across as like very intense on that kind of thing. You know, he just said it'll be different next week. And and I think, you know, having been a player himself so recently, I think he just recognizes that you, I think also we're all so I'll admit at the final whistle, I was, I wouldn't say I was angry, but I, I was a bit concerned. I was just thinking, Jesus, that was, that was a real Emery flashback to me. And maybe because it was against Watford as well, I thought, oh my God. But w- when I thought about it, when I saw Arteta's comment, I thought, oh, actually, he, he genuinely doesn't seem that bothered about it. And actually, as Arsenal fans, we're probably super sensitive to the idea of the players being professional because th- they just haven't done it enough over the last uh, 10, maybe even 15 years now. But I kind of looked at that and I did think, yeah, I think pretty much any team that is 3-0 up with nothing to play for on the last day with a cup final a week later against the team who not not just has to win, like Watford, for Watford, goal difference could have... You know, could could have decided it. Like True, yeah. three two might have kept them up if scores have gone a different way. You know, so that that's a really unique set of circumstances. The defeat in and of itself didn't definitely relegate them, and the goal difference was so close that yeah, you could have had this weird situation where where it, it might have come down to goal difference. So in in 
in that kind of context, I, I can completely understand why it happened. This was also a team where most of those players are going to play next week. And like we said, the front three know they're playing next week. The midfield two know they're playing next week. Two of those centre-halves know and the goalkeeper knows. So... And I, I think Arteta, as as a player, I don't. I, well, most managers are, are ex-players. They know, they understand that why the intensity comes out of games. It's the same reason friendlies don't have intensity. I am sure that managers don't go into friendlies and say, "Don't hurt yourself today, lads." But they understand that nobody even just subconsciously, a little bit slips away. So I, I, in retrospect, I, I do, like I've definitely, I say calm down, that's overdramatic because I wasn't spitting feathers or anything, but I was thinking, Jesus, like actually we'd have been better off just not playing any of these players. But actually, I, I don't think that's true now. And and actually, I think it it's really useful for us to have played a team who... Um, who really, really had to keep going till the final whistle. We talked about this game being a tune-up, and that's a good tune-up. What probably wouldn't have been a good tune-up, to be honest, would have been like a 5 or 6 nil win um, where they give up at half-time. So that's even fair. if it was... Sorry, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah even, even if it was a little bit tough to watch, actually, you know, we talked about a tune-up. This was a tune-up. So the only pushback I'd give you on, on that, because I was thinking that too, but then I thought about, to, on the flip side of that, Playing 40 or 50 minutes of that game with zero discipline, zero control, and just out to have fun and almost like a a friendly, I don't know that that's great for a game where we're going to have to be super locked in for 90 minutes and maybe beyond. So that would be my only slight pushback is that you hate to see them getting that sort of sloppy and silly out there because the season ain't over. You know what I mean? You got to stay totally keyed in. I, I think you're right. At the same time, there were what when did Watford get it to 3-2 25 minutes so there were 25 minutes where Watford needed a goal and we had to keep them out and don't get me wrong I'm not saying it was a fantastic backs to the wall <laughs> kind well, of performance Martinez a lot of was it great. was yeah it, a lot of it was goalkeeper making saves but you know if we're 1-0 up against Chelsea on 65 minutes next Saturday then we might be in for for some similar treatment yeah, I would take 5-0 up, but, you know, whatever. You you do you. Um, look, I, I think there were some good performances here, too, that, that encourage you. I mean, Aubameyang gets a couple of goals, and and he obviously has the great overhead kick finish, which was kind of fun. Reminded me of an overhead version of Henri's backheel goal. Um, you know, posted a guy up, did, didn't have the pre- necessary pressure, and then puts puts it in creatively, so that was fun. Um, yeah, and, and I thought Pepe had a... a a good game by Pepe standards in terms of his involvement and the, the threat he caused. And he just seems to be starting to enjoy himself a little bit more out there and understand his role. So th- there were good things in this game. Clive, one of the things that I'm not so sure about is Joe Willick. And, uh, you know, I mean, look, I, I don't think he's going to start the the cup final, but he's played over 40 times this season. So I think... You know, people have a visceral reaction. I said this in the instant reaction pod. People have a visceral reaction to criticism of academy kids. And I understand why. They're young kids. They're arsenal through and through. We want them to succeed. Don't pick on kids. By the same token, if you pull on the shirt more than 40 times in a season for Arsenal, some analysis of your performance and what kind of player you are, I think, is is warranted. That doesn't mean that you draw sweeping conclusions. But the more I watch him play, the harder it is for me to see him getting to 
the level that we aspire to. I mean, I don't think it is a coincidence that in a season where Joe Willick makes 40 appearances and a lot of kids play a lot of minutes, we finish eighth in the Premier League. I mean, there, there is a, a rational relationship there. And you look at the game we won against Manchester City, and the youngest player on the pitch was Maitland-Niles at 22. So... You know, I, I think there is something to be said for experience. I think there is something to be said for the level we need to get to. I was kind of, kind of having this this debate in the Discord. Name for me every academy kid in the last decade who made it at the absolute top level. And by top level, I mean can start for a top four Premier League team or one of the big clubs in the world at the Arsenal Academy in the last decade. Maybe Jack Wilshire, And that's it? I mean, if you want to count a Wobie, but I, I think that's borderline. I mean, so the idea that Enkedia, Nelson, Willick, Maitland-Niles, Smith-Rowe, that they're all going to make it after, you know, a decade where you're lucky to see one make it. I mean, they're not. And I don't think it's harsh to say that the level for some of these players may wind up being a little further down. We've given Willick a lot of opportunity to play this season. Where, where do you sort of land? I know you've said you struggle to kind of figure him out, you know, what he is. I, again, I thought this was a game he had a chance to play sort of at the, the the top of the midfield. At one point in the game, Scott posted a a stat, you know, it was pretty decent into the game where Willick had, had only 15 touches, 4.6% of the Arsenal touches. In, in a position where he really is the connective tissue between the Ceballos, Shaka midfield and, and the attackers, I find him to be a player who struggles to know where to be on the pitch to make himself available. And then... To release the ball. Do you remember the the moment in the match where he was carrying the ball forward and Aubameyang was holding his run and he had a lot of space to sort of run into and he yeah. kept he kept carrying it forward and he kept carrying forward and Aubameyang kept kind of leaning like he's like showing him where he wants the pass and showing him he keeps carrying. He just, he never got the ball out from his feet and I think that's that's sort of where he is right now. So that was a very, very long introduction that didn't wind up with a question but is a long way of saying, that's what I think of Willick. What do you think of Willick? <laughs> not much left yeah, and I think um, what I will say is I think he's to be defined and the way we've used our youngsters this year is to plug holes in the boat yep so we use them off the bench we drop them in wing backs we drop them in, in midfield we drop them in left wing we drop them in right wing we just drop them in when we have a hole in the boat and they go out there and they give it their best Right, so of those players you mentioned, Maitland-Niles, for example, what is he? Right, we can debate. Some think he's a fullback. He, some think he wants to play in midfield. Which side? He can do both sides. He can do quite a lot of stuff. Right, Willock, what is he? He plays at the 10 sometimes, comes on a right wing, hasn't really had much time deep in midfield, hasn't really only played three, in a three in midfield, in a V, maybe a couple of occasions. So, you know, Nelson, he, he's playing on the right a lot, but, you know, he, a lot of his youth career was on the left. You know, he played England 21s on the left. So I think what happens with younger players is they end up doing a job for the club. And then they reach a certain age where they need to define their role. So of these players, Maitland-Niles is the oldest. And guess who's making the most noises about defining his role? Maitland-Niles. So when people say, I'm not sure if the academy kids are going to make it, well, I can come back and say to you, they've already made it. They're already on their first pro contract looking to sign their second. And whatever they do from now on in, they've made it. They're, they're going to have Premier League careers. All these you know I agree with that, but by the careers. way, just Clive, because I don't want to make it sound like I'm killing them. They've all made it. They're all good. They're all going to yeah. have good careers. I meant like make it in terms of Arsenal can count on them to carry us up the back up the table. You know, that that's yeah. what I meant. Yeah. And so absolutely. So of these players, the one that's shown the most promise to be a first 11 player is Saka. 
and he has a first 11 squad number now. The next two years, he's, he's going to be defined. Willock needs to be defined. He needs to start talking to his man and say, this is where I want to be. Judge me here. Same for Nelson, the same for Maitland Niles. Right, so, and Smith Rowe, we think he's going to be a between the lines player, an attacking player. Is he going to be a 10 ish or is he going to be an 8 10? Not too sure. Depends on his body, depends on his resilience, depends on his robustness, defensive work, etc. But he's got a lot of the half turn ability that we lack. Right, so these players are holding the bolt fillers, right? That's what they are at this stage of their careers. And now, if we were buying a player of their age from abroad, we'd be buying them for a specific role. But this is not how we tend to use the kids that we grow ourselves. The good thing is, they're all useful. But when people are judging them, people are judging them as against other first-team players of greater experience. And really, they should just look at them and say, where is he? Because I don't know what Willock is yet. I think I know what he does well. I think I know what he does wrong. And you highlight some of those things. But I don't know what he's positioning yet because we've not fixed him. And I'm not sure we're going to fix any of them next year neither, given where we are with the squad. But I think if we judge them and say, well, actually, just look at them at, like Darren Fletcher and John O'Shea and Wes Brown, who filled holes in that Man United Championship you know, 10 times they won it, whatever it was. And they filled holes defensively, filled holes in midfield on a certain day, did a great job for the for the manager. None of them, they, you couldn't say they were superstars, but they've got eight premiership medals in their top draw. Right? So, and that's how I think, and Tim said it before, I know he agrees with it. That's how I think we need to look at these players. Of these players, there's one there that I think is going to be very, very good. And we've already, he's already on his second pro, right? So that's where we are. You know, he's got his number. He's the one. The others have got work to do. The next one behind that for me is probably Maitland Niles on delivery on execution, on delivering on the tough day. But even he's not defined yet, and even he's not a sure thing. He could easily end up at Crystal Palace and do a good job for them and be another Patrick Van Aalhoel, have a great career playing at Crystal Palace, or he could stay at Arsenal and sh- shove people out the door. We're not sure. But I think people just need to say, these are these are our kids. They do a job for us on a certain day. We need a little bit longer before we judge what they are and just keep our expectations at that level. They are Premier League players. When it comes to a point where they need their careers to be solidified and us to be fair to them, to not move them around the boat all the time, then they either go or if they're good enough to stay, then we'll all know and it'll be somebody, something we want to see happen. right? But at this moment in time, I agree with you on Willock. He's not quite there, but I'm not overly concerned as long as he's not starting the cup final, given the form he's been on, yeah, he shouldn't start the cup final. And that's just that's just football, though, isn't it? Well, and, and I have sympathy for him in the sense that, look, if you're a forward, you have to do the hardest thing in football, score goals or provide assists. Hardest thing in football. Um, but there's a lot of things you can still be bad at and play and be effective. You don't have to be a well-rounded footballer to be a forward. You have to be good at the hardest thing in football, um, but you don't have to be well-rounded. Midfielders don't have that luxury. You can't go to sleep off the ball. You can't lack mobility. You can't have a bad first touch. You can't be a mediocre passer. Because any of those things make you unusable in midfield for a team that wants to be at the top, top level. Um, And I realize I named qualities a lot of our midfielders have, which I think explains why our midfield stinks and why we are where we are. Joe Willick does have some exciting qualities. But if he wants to play in the middle of the park, 
the deficiencies he has aren't going to get him where we need him to be. So, I, you know, I, I think that is really the issue, and I have a lot of sympathy for that. Um, you know, even Maitland-Niles. Say, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, man. I shouldn't, shouldn't cut you off there. I was going to say, comparing them to Chelsea, for example, they have a similar player in midfield. Loftus-Cheek, right? But he's two, three, four years older. He's a big, rangy midfielder that carries the ball. He's more experienced. He's on their bench. They bring him on. They bring on Ross Barkley. What do we do? We bring on Joe Willock. And that's just where we are in our, in our, in our squad, right? So, the loss of Cheek played in the World Cup. Mm. Ross Barkley plays for England. Yeah, he, he's They're not good, though. Let's just be clear about that. <laughs> but, but they have a level of delivery and yes. experience that Joe Willock doesn't have. They're not so easily defined what they are in the same way. And Joe Willock's 20, and Ross Barkley and Ross of Cheek and North are 23, 24, 25. So, that's you know, that's the role he's playing. And, uh, I the think, thing I think know. is interesting, Clive, the one thing that I always remember Arsene talking about, Arsene Wenger talking about um, player development was when they develop their technical level. You know, and I think he said at 8 by 18, the player is who he's going to be technically. You know, in terms of touch and close control and things like that. Because he was talking about like the importance of working with the ball at a younger age. And I think it was related to England development and how England, you know, yeah. it didn't work with the ball at a young age the way like Spain, you know, the Spain youth development did and all that. But anyway, it's getting sidetracked. My point is, I think, can Willick become a better player? Absolutely. He's going to get older and he'll get better. Will his technical level go up? Um, I think that remains to be seen and I certainly think it would need to. So, uh, Tim, I, I don't want to shut you out of this, although I do want to switch to someone who is a little more technically gifted in Ceballos, but do you have a, a final thought on Joe Willick and, you know, sort of the season he's had with so many appearances in terms of m- making his case for, for his Arsenal future? Yeah, I, so, you know, you talked about um, academy players making it and, you know, becoming, uh, you know, potentially becoming big players at Arsenal. Um, I, like, I don't think Joe Willock's going to do that. I think Eddie Nketiah is probably not going to do that. I think Reese Nelson's probably not going to do that. So I, I, I kind of agree with you, but it just depends on what you expect from them and how you look at them. The, the way I, I, I look at them very much as squad players and therefore, I would be more, um, I'd be more inclined to set them against, I don't know, Pascal Sagan and Matthew Flamini, um, and you know, players like that from down the years. Um, and uh, they just cost less than a lot of those guys. Eddie Nketiah cost less than Lucas Perez, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, I, I, I'm not sure what I'm expecting in terms of a return from Joe Willock. Honestly, I'm probably expecting us to sell him in maybe two years and then move on and either bring through another academy player to be a squad player. Like I, I think Clive's exactly right, basically, in terms of they come in, they save us a bit of money, they plug some holes, and they can either do more than that and they can't, or they can't. And if they can't, we move them on, we sell them, we look for the next academy kid that can do that, yeah. so on and so forth. I'm, I'm, I'm quite comfortable with that. So I don't think Joe Willock's the next big thing, um, but I don't think that that's enormously important um whether whether the question more for me is can joe willock um is he good enough to perform the role he's got at the moment i like i i don't really want to future cast it much more than that yeah because you know what tim like i would agree with you to this extent do i love the idea of maitland niles being in this squad as someone who can come on and do a job i do do I love Eddie Nketiah as a guy who can come on, you know, your backup striker that you get for free who can score you eight to ten goals in a season? Absolutely. A, a dream problem solver for, for a club on a limited budget. Do I think Joe Willick has played well enough to be someone that we can feel comfortable having 
40 appearances in midfield. That I, I guess that's where I distinguish it, right? Like I, I totally mm. agree with you that seeing them as, you know, you get a guy like Saka who can really be the guy. That's exciting. Mm. But in Kedia, valuable role. Someone who I, I see why you'd want that. Maitland-Niles, same kind of thing. I would argue that Willick, Willick's performances have fallen short of that. Mm. As someone who said, are you comfortable with Willick having another 40 appearances next season at the level he was at this season? I think it's fair to say I'd probably not want that if that's not yeah, yeah. too harsh. And again, he could still and develop. Smith I'm not Rowe, ruling it out. If, if Smith-Rowe comes back, then he might end up getting most of those minutes anyway. And and then this time next year, we can have the same discussion about Smith-Rowe. It's, you know, yeah. I think and, and you know what? If their ceiling isn't high enough, then that's okay. It's not the end of the world. I mean, it, I think you can debate whether Kieran Gibbs was a player we held on to too long or not long enough or, you know, however you want to look at it. But like, Kieran Gibbs wasn't good enough to be Arsenal's left back. It just didn't work out for him. Was he a valuable part of the squad? I mean, your mileage may vary. Uh, but, but Tim, let's talk Ceballos because I, I think this is a totally different issue. It is kind of wild that the only midfielder at Arsenal that really impresses me at all right now is a guy who's not an Arsenal midfielder. And it's going to be an issue. So his play in the build-up out from the back for the goal we scored against City, that beautiful goal where we played out from the back, um, mm. was sensational. He did it again in the goal that Tierney scored in this game. Mm. So we're playing out from the back. And it was really unclear how we were going to get out. And the ball goes back to Martinez. And Tobias is standing three yards ahead of him in the box, bracketed on either side. Martinez gives it to him, which, first of all, tells you all the confidence that the team has in Tobias, right, in tight spaces. And I'm not saying he's, like, under immense pressure, but he's in his own box. You know, like, like 10 yards out from his own goal, center of the pitch, ball comes to him from his keeper, just turns calmly, quick turn, looks up, breaks lines, plays the ball forward, off we go, Tierney scores. He's so important because he can take the ball in those situations under pressure and just have that calmness and, and the confidence to keep it and use it. Not, you know, not just give it back, but use it progressively. Um, mm. I thought, again, he impressed in this game. I think he is absolutely one of the key players that has to shine against Chelsea because I think you know they kind of go man-to-man marking, and I think if he can get by his marker then you can attack the spaces they leave. So impressed with him again, and, and how valuable has he become to anything that that we're going to achieve near term or longer term? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, you know, he's he, he's been the player post-lockdown. Um, I think, you know, if, if you're asking about player of the season, there's, there's not many candidates. It's difficult to come up with more than two. But, um, you know, the, the player of... I guess the mini season is is absolutely him. I think what's what's really really interesting and maybe something I because I I remember the move you're talking about and um it's something I maybe slept on because I've been thinking so much about this player that links midfield and attack that we just don't have and um I kind of reflected and felt that I was harsh on Sabios you know a month or two ago because I wanted him to be that player and he's not really that player he's the closest thing we've got but he isn't but what's really impressing me is what he's doing in deeper areas is what he's doing in his own half um and the the fact that him and it's almost the sort of thing do you remember when at the end of Wenger's reign where he would swap Ramsey and Jacker as the receiver as the kind of the pair of sixes because it just makes you less predictable and it means that you know um a, a bit like I guess Chelsea have done this with Kovacic and Jorginho as well if you just have one player that does that it's easy to mark them out of the game whereas 
you know, I guess we've got two in Sabios and Xhaka, but I also wonder if it tells us some, a little something about Xhaka as well, because what you've described with Sabios is a press-resistant player because he can turn away from trouble. So you're quite right. How do you feel when Sabios gets the ball there? I I feel quite relaxed. Calm, I don't yeah. feel yeah. I don't feel like that with every player we have. I feel like that with very few of the players we have. But the thing is as well, even if someone gets up his backside, he can turn away. Xhaka can't do that. Xhaka needs the ball on his left foot, very specific location. Then he can move the ball very well. But he needs that. Whereas Sabios, I think, can kind of twist and turn, go either way. He can go in different directions. Um, which really, really makes him stand out. But I also think his defensive output in terms of interceptions, winning the ball back on the edge of the area has has become really, really important too. I haven't, I should have looked at the numbers on this because um, I don't have them. So maybe it's it's just, it's bullshit. But I, I would wager that his defensive numbers have really gone up in the last few weeks. Um, in that respect, I think he's become really good at reading the game from deep. Um, and, and actually, like I'm thinking about it more as well in terms of the way Arsenal create. And I think that maybe I've been a bit one dimensional in my thinking, in thinking, well, you need a number 10 to do that. And actually, I mean, that helps. But who's Liverpool's number 10? No one. No one. Yeah. Like, like who gets all their assists, their fullbacks. Mm. And I think you can see that Arsenal, are, whether it's because... Arteta just knows we don't really have that player in the centre. It, it's the wide spaces where Arsenal are, are really trying to create stuff. And, and if you're good at that, that's fine. Um, so, I, you know, so I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I've I've changed my thinking on Ceballos um, and actually his performances have forced me to do that. Um, and he is, he is, to me, our absolute most important midfielder because if Shaka got injured in training this week, I, that would be a disaster. It would be a disaster because Genduzi is not on the table effectively. I think in a very different way, but I think that Genduzi can do the job that Shaka does, albeit in a, in a, in a very different uh, kind of fashion. But, but Ceballos, I think it is the key piece um, in, you know, not just in the midfield, but maybe in the team in terms of the way that he circulates the ball and he can move away from pressure because he's pretty much the only one that can do it. And so I guess, um, you know, I'll stop thinking of him as, you know, trying to be the number 10 we don't have and be thankful that he's he's the player that he is. Yeah, yeah. And I I mean, he. I, I think looking at him, Tim, the way he's playing right now shows you the kind of technical level that a modern midfielder needs to have for us, the escapability, the ability to to play at both ends of the pitch, you know, to, to defend, to tackle, to take the ball off someone and start the ball going the other way. If you want to play out from the back, you've got to have a player like him who's press resistant. I just don't think you can look at him the way he's playing right now and not, by virtue of looking at him, sort of see the the missing, what we've been missing and what we continue to be missing. And And if we could find a really good partner for him, and I'll whisper that I think Ganduzi could have been that, but that ship has sailed. Um, you know, I, I think if we can find a partner for him and keep him, we have the makings of, of a good midfield. The scary thing is if he goes this summer, you're right back where you started. And that would be a real shame because I agree with you. He's been the player of Project Restart. Clive, I think Arteta's biggest shout may be leaving Saka out for the cup final, but I think that's where we're headed. Um, it sure seems like he's gotten comfortable trusting Lacazette again. And why wouldn't you? He's rewarded him the last 
several games with the way he's played. Of course, Aubameyang's going to start, and almost certainly on the left. Um, so, you know, and Tierney's become undroppable. I think the only place it comes down to then is whether it's Pepe or Saka on the right. I don't think Saka's ever looked super comfortable there. And Pepe had a great game against Manchester City. I think he's looking more and more dangerous, and I think that is an area of the pitch where we can terrorize Chelsea, especially if they play Alonso, as I mentioned earlier. So that's the big call for me for him. Um, you know, whether he plays Saka yeah. or Pepe on the right, and I, I think he's probably leaning Pepe. I, I, I also think the fact that he got the result he did against City using more senior players will be on his mind. So do you do you think that's really the one big call he has to make and that he'll he'll make it? In favor of Pepe? The, the big call is, um, does he go over back three or does he go over back four? That's the call. But if he goes to a back four, then the extra midfielder, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Joe Willock, like he was at the weekend? Or is it going to be somebody else? Why wouldn't he right, pick so, the same team he picked for City, just holding for Mustafi? Well, he could do. You know, And I've looked at, just been looking while you've been on at Chelsea's last few games. They played a back three in all the games they cared about. Right, so Wolves. Um, I think they played Liverpool as well, you know, and they played the back three at the weekend. So all the games they cared about, they played the back three. They played Norwich. They played the back four. They played three in midfield, actually, and the extra midfielder. But I'm thinking about how we're going to affect Chelsea, and I think we could easily go with back three, match them up, see what we could do, um, or we could go actually just go back four. If they're this gamble, they're going to play Giroud. They're not going to run us in behind. Let's go for a back four because I think the backs could probably deal with a Giroud. Let's try to take the game initiative away from them and make it a stretch game. Then we can flip to something else later on, become much more counter-attacking like did versus City, and then break on them in, in, a, in a 3 4 3 shape or 5 you know, 3 2 shape, wherever it is. So that's what I think he may want to do. He may want to say, you know what, I'm going to try to get behind Jorginho and Kovacic. That's not exactly the most solid two. If I can get around them, outnumber them, take take over the game, score, then I'm in control of what the game rhythm's going to be. So I think look at the game from a zonal perspective and a story perspective. I think Arsenal are looking to get the first blow in. We do not want to be chasing the game. Yeah, I mean, I think Tim's pointed out before how many times we have to chase a game. When we do, we don't look very good. Right? But when we score first, we can control the destiny of the game. I think it's really important that we do. We can't assume City is going to be the the game for us to really, you know, to really blueprint on. But I don't want to give them control. I think they're stronger, bigger, better around the box. They can do things. But I do think we can, you know, for example, City, they crossed the ball one a million times. We weren't concerned. If we give Chelsea that same crossing space, they will do something with it. They have the players, they have the height, they have the expertise in the air to do something with that. I think it's very important we get our punch off. And this is why I've got a feeling like, well, he did He did not need to go for the back in this game. Mm. He didn't need to do it. So why was he trying it? You know, uh, just think it through. I mean, maybe he just wanted a, a game where we get the extra midfielder. I, I, I don't, I mean, who who was he going to, you know, if he was going to go three at the back, I don't know who he's going to play. I mean, the scary thing for three at the back is, I don't think he can play close in us. Can I, can I ask you a question, Clive? Do, do you consider he'll play, he'll play Tierney in the back three? Well, do you consider the formation Sacco we used against City to be a back three? Yeah, it was definitely a back three. We used Maitland Niles as a sort of a hybrid to go up, but it was definitely more of a back three, and it turned out to be a back five on occasion. You know, yeah, yeah see, I point. couldn't settle on it, right? Because I think it's a back four 
with three shield. I thought it was really a four with a flat three shielding. shielding oh, it was a that- three. Yeah, it was a three when we when we were defending. But when we had the ball, Tierney went out to left back, and that's when Maitland-Niles went up, and he was the one that put crosses in, etc. So again, we can do that with Saka. We can do that no problem if we go for a back three, and I think he potentially, you know, he'd just be taking Willock out of the team, right? So, um, yeah, I, I can see that happening quite easily. You know, it's just how we're going to use him. Saka reached a bit of a bit of a wind. He hit a bit of a wind, a wall, didn't he? Sorry, he just sort of he got that kick in. Uh, I'm not sure which game it was. Might have been the Leicester game, and it it's really seemed to affect him. He hasn't really looked great since then. He's been taken out of the squad completely this weekend. He's chirped in on on in the press today. I just got a feeling he's been he's been safe for the cup final. Where he plays is debatable, but um, I think he's been safe for the cup final. I think he's going to have a a really big effect. Interesting, Tim. Do you agree? I don't. I I I, I got a weird feeling it's going to be the the semifinal lineup just withholding from Mustafi. Yeah, I. I've really I've gone back and forth on this. I think the thing I think Maitland Niles is going to play on the right. And I think Saka's going to play on the left. So you think Bellerin won't play? Yeah, yeah, mm. I, I don't. That, that's my hunch. I mean, because the thing is, the thing is of playing Maitland-Niles on the left is he did that against Mares because Mares likes to cut in. But Willian plays on the right for Chelsea. He doesn't cut in. He goes outside. So the value of playing a right-footed player at left wing back isn't quite the same. Um and and Saka can run with Willian as well. And, and actually, I think Saka is a fairly decent kind of one-on-one defender, particularly against some... Maybe not... He probably doesn't have the defensive now to follow, like a Pulisic, for example. But um, if Willian goes on the outside and he tries to take someone on, I think Saka can, can deal with that. If I were Lampard, I would... What I would consider is flipping Willian and Pulisic and trying to surprise Arsenal. That That would be... That would be like the ace up my sleeve. I would I would consider going with. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. the the interesting thing for me is that like I I just think that this is such a fascinating game in a sense because I think Chelsea can be really attacked on the outside and and that's where we attack effectively. And I don't I don't know that I'd want to mess with what worked against City because I think the kinds of attacks the kinds of raids that we made against them are the kinds that we can make against Chelsea. And and I, I have proof of concept, you know, and for a team, you guys, that's been so inconsistent all season. It's been so hard to predict whether you're going to get a performance out of them. The fact that I got the performance I wanted against City with a specific group, I'd do as much as I could to just run that back. Now, again, you know, Bellerin may not be fit. That's that's part of it. Um, I, I think he's getting nowhere near the credit he deserves for coming back to a level much closer to what we expect of him. I think he's been a lot better. Um, I think if Alonso plays again, I know this is soft factor stuff, but boy, does he hate Alonso and boy, has he been good against him? I, I, I love Hector Bellerin going out there and, and ruining Alonso again. So I, I would go for that. Um, it's, it's everything. I mean, it's so big. The upshot is look, thank God in a way Chelsea do have champions league because maybe they take their eye off the ball slightly on the cup final. I mean, I doubt it. And to be fair, um, I kind of thought maybe that would happen in the Europa League final last season because they had already qualified for Champions League, but it didn't work out that way. So we'll, we'll just have to see what happens. Um, Clive, do you have sort of a, a final thought about how to view this Watford game, though? I mean, I, I thought 
it got really silly at the end. I mean, Martinez got some shooting practice, which is good. But for me, um, I, I don't know that you could take too much away from it because I just don't think that the the sort of professional approach in that second half was there to to evaluate the performance. Yeah, I, I actually think I, don't, I agree with Tim on this one. Actually, I think it was the the perfect tune up game because when we were good, we were really good. We're three and that bang. There you go. You're dead. We stepped off. We stepped off because we got other things in our mind. We thought they were going to fold. They didn't quite fold. They got back in. Cheers, Mike Dean. They got back in. And basically, it became more of a battle as the game went on. So from an attacking point of view, when we were sharp, I mean, the second goal was a great example. When we were sharp, great pattern play, very similar to the Man City goal. Fantastic. You'll think it's very exciting where you flip through midfield in a zigzag, you know, to out Sabayos Shaka and across the zigzag to to Willock, out to left wing. We knew where it, we all knew where it was going. It went there on the sixpence. The only thing we didn't smash it in first time, but he kept the ball and we scored the second phase. So really good stuff. That is identity being developed there. And then we had a bit of a defensive tune up towards the end, with them piling on, running through our midfield, saving shots, blocking shots. That is, this is exactly what we want. We got away with no injuries. We won the game jogging. We got a few moans. We didn't do things right. Perfect for the coaches. They can now rollock a few people this week because we weren't quite at it. We've got the points in the bag. We've got another 5.4 million quid. We got, and we've got all our players healthy, the ones that are going to be healthy, ready for the game on the weekend. Chelsea don't know what we're going to do. We don't know what we're going to do. We've been talking about it for a little while. We're not going to be sure what we're going to do. We have options. We have real options with just a couple of changes. It doesn't really, I, I do think Maitland-Niles may play on the right wing back, or right back, didn't, but if Bellerin plays, his form is good enough due to the competition that's been introduced in the squad. He's had to up his game, and he's now at it. What Bellerin does bring is big game personality. He's done it before. He's won medals before. He knows what these events are all about, and it's not to be sniffed at. You know, so mm. if he's fit... Maybe he plays. It's no problem. Maitland Niles comes on to block holes later in the game. Does the role that Willock would do. Maitland Dahl does it with a bit more experience. It doesn't concern me. Or Maitland Niles starts on the left hand side. It doesn't worry me. These players are of a standard now. They've had a big game in the City game. They know what's required under the most, under the most serious stress. Watford were a good physical test that we suspected from last week in the preview. They run us around. They got tall, leggy runners. Troy Deeney's big heavy backside, jumping early and landing on people, did it beautifully. This is a good test, a perfect test what's coming up. We just now need to be a little bit sharper on our pattern play, a little bit more proactive our defending, a little bit more compact when it really counts. We can be a bit more aggressive because we're not trying to not get booked or sent off for before cup final. So yeah, and I feel we're in a good place to go and attack this game. And that's all you can ask for at this stage of the season. Yeah, I guess maybe the the big issue for me is just not having a lot of options that we trust outside of who we put on the pitch to start the game. And, and Tim, if if there's a part of this game that was really the the more depressing part, I think it was once the subs came on. I, and by the way, I totally understand why he used the subs he did. I, I, I wasn't particularly fussed about this game in case that's not coming through and the fact that we've hardly dissected it. But like when you look at the kinds of people that you can bring in, you know, and you look at Kolasinac, you know, and you, you look at, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think who were the subs. Let me look at it right now. It was uh, Nelson and Kedia, Torreira, Kolasinac. So I actually thought Eddie played well. I I, I think Eddie played well. Um, 
you know, Nelson, Nelson did hard too. I, you know, to be fair, but again, I just don't look at the bench and see players that I totally trust to come into a cup final and change it or rescue it. So, I mean, do you think it's sort of down to him getting that first 11, right? And then if Sack is not in the team, then, then, you know, he's someone who could come in or same with Pepe, but there's, there's just not a lot of depth there if things aren't going the way we want it to go. No, and that is definitely a worry, particularly because we're not a, a team really built to chase games anyway. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, like, who would your third sub be after Inketia? You know, after Inketia, um, you know, one of probably Saka, and then you're looking at either Nelson or Will. I mean, you're looking at academy kids. Yeah. Um, Torreira, who doesn't so, doesn't look like there's much he's yeah, got to offer yeah. at the moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, look look at Villa, right? We were one nil down at half time, playing horseshoe football, and we brought on Jacker. Um, that that was like our best answer. Um, so so yeah, that that is a big worry. I think I think both in terms of, I mean, it's a bit circular, I suppose. One of the reasons we we um, we struggle to chase games because we just don't have the players for it. We're not built for it, but we also don't have the bench for it. Um, I, th- I think that's reasonably obvious. I, I also think in Ketia probably isn't at the kind of um, impact sub stage yet. I think at the moment he's more of a tactical kind of piece. He's more of a, he's, he's very good at pressure, pressuring the defense. He's very good for the structure, but I don't think he's the guy you bring on and think, Oh yeah, he might score. Um, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think any of those players are, um, certainly not yet. Really, you're just kind of rearranging things and hoping that something works. Um, and that's, you know, look, that's that's just down to some pretty poor decisions in, in terms of squad building. Um, and, you know, Willock, Willock as a sub, he's, he's a decent sub to bring on when you're winning, not when you're losing. Um, you know, I, I, I really feel this final very much might be a case of first goal wins. Um, and, and I, I think, I I think Chelsea have some similar issues maybe, um, in that respect. I mean, look, look at the two games, um, this, I mean, well, to be fair, Chelsea did come back from one nil down to beat us at the Emirates. Um, I'm not sure that I think a lot of that was just down to an unforeseen mistake by Leno. I don't think they were massively threatening before that, but look at Chelsea, um, you know, in the game at Stamford bridge in January, they were absolutely all over us in the first 25 minutes. We couldn't get out. They went one nil up 10 men, that set Arsenal's game plan where Arsenal went, okay, we've just got to get men behind the ball now. And Chelsea couldn't cope with that. Um, once, once they went one nil up, they actually found it really difficult um, to try and, to try and boss the game against us after that. So I think both teams are fairly similar um, in that respect. That said, Arsenal have lost a lot, you know, have we lost more than any other team from winning positions this season? So, you know, maybe, maybe that's, that's not, but, but again, I, I think more to your point, Elliot, we're, we're more set up. Look at that front three, right? Lacazette, Aubameyang, Pepe, that's a counter-attacking front three. You know, when your wide forwards are Aubameyang and Pepe, that's set up on the break. And the second it comes to a stage where we can no longer play on the break, you need you need creative players. You need lock pickers, and um, you know Abamyang certainly isn't that. Lacazette isn't that. Sabios isn't that. So, I, I don't think we have the creative presence really. If we're to go, if we're to go one nil down in this game, we would be in kind of mistake or set piece territory. Yeah, um, Clive, I'll let you get in there. The one thing I'll say, I, I actually have to disagree with you guys slightly. I think 
given that neither of these teams look super secure defensively, that they'll have a suspect goalkeeper and defend a little further up the pitch and leave space in behind, which we like to attack. And given that we'll have defenders who don't know how to, what's the word I'm looking for, defend. Um, I think, weirdly, this this game could have some twists and turns. Like, like, what I will say is there are goals. There are goals in this game. Look at the goal. Look at the games we played against them. We had them beat. Then they came back and beat us. There were chances galore. Even in the Emery era, we had that that wild first game. Well, his second game ever, right? Where where there were tons of chances in the first half. Then we sat and defended because he's a coward in the second half and lost. But like, I, I just I see these as teams with all of their talent at the top end of the pitch. And it, it is very much the mullet of football games because it's it's business up front and party in the back. And I, I I can see the game having twists and turns. The one good thing, while I don't think we chase games well, I, I just don't think there's any scenario where you're out of this game because I think both these teams will give you chances. Clive, you, you wanted to mention it. So as we say goodbye, um, Socrates, technically speaking, he is still an Arsenal footballer. I mean, given the way holding is played, could he be brought in from the cold? I'd be very nervous about a guy who hasn't played at all suddenly starting the cup final. Not that yeah, he was very good to begin with. <laughs> Yeah, he's a worry. I, I, I really thought we might see a little bit of him at the weekend just to see if he could still run, you know, because he's literally been sitting in the crowd with a sweatshirt in his arm. So, yeah, I thought we might see a little bit of him. So we can at least judge him. But, you know, it seems like Arteta's completely taken that one out. Holding does worry me. I, I will say that. But, again, he's another one that's actually done the course. Big Wembley Cup final. Can he lift his levels back up there? He, he, for holding, I feel it needs to be a proper Alamo game, a real big defensive game. I think concentration-wise, when he's got space to think, I think he's a little bit... In. Can we caught out? Socrates has obviously got more experience, but again, he's a he's a fire, firework. We're not sure what we're going to get from him. We could take somebody out and get sent off, right? So um, mm. it is a, with Socrates, you know, there was rumours that he was the one fighting Granduzzi, and suddenly none of them... I don't think he's hardly played a minute since. So, that would be um, an interesting fight to watch, for the record. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, that, you know, there's rumors of him saying he's going to go, and some saying he's going to stay and sit in his contract. So maybe there's a little dispute there, and Arteta said, no, you're not you're with that attitude. We're going to freeze you out from now. So I do think at the end of this season, there's a mini book to write. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see what players actually really feel. I think it's very important, actually. I know we all know this. It's very important for the momentum that we all feel is bubbling under the surface that we have a good game of the weekend and do really well. If Arteta can pocket this trophy, I do think that momentum then increases and all our minds then flip to the transfer market. More importantly, we need to see who's going. That's the key thing. We need to create room. We need to create room for some of the younger players to come back. We need to create room on wages. We need to create room for transfers of quality that's going to allow some more pillars in this team to allow other players to grow alongside them. So it's a big week ahead, mate. It really is. So I can't wait. It's can't crazy wait. just how how many just reminders there can be of the past and, and the way life can just repeat itself. I mean, you can go back to 2017 when we beat City in the, the semifinal and, and Chelsea in the final to win the cup. You can go back to just last season when to get into Europe... We needed to win a cup final against Chelsea, um, who already had Europe locked up. Now, in that case, we were trying to get into the Champions League. In this case, we're trying to get into the Europa League. So <laughs> kind of tells you a little bit about our trajectory. But it, it is just wild that, that here we are again. And, you know, I, I realize that 
athletes, professional athletes aren't really wired the way fans are. But you just hope that maybe that embarrassment in Baku last year, um, you know, and the and the way they played under Emery and, and the, the disappointment of that performance is is in some of their minds, and that they can that they have a wrong that they feel that they have a chance to right here, because um, they really do, and it, it's a major moment for the club because I I don't want to overstate the value of being in the Europa League. I mean, even economically, it's it's limited, but. It is still a competition that I think enhances us, that enhances our season next season for a variety of reasons. We can get into that more as we look ahead to next season. But I just hope that they will lift themselves for this one last challenge this season because as awful as this season has been, and thank God it's over. I mean, thank God this Premier League season is over. Cannot be happy enough for this to be over. But they can end it on a high. I can't remember... Was it the, it might have been the Chelsea season. Wasn't that where we beat Chelsea in the cup final? And it was a terrible season, I believe. And to end such a bad season on such a high, I mean, it just gives you, it, it lifts the whole club. And, and the players have the ability to do that. And I, I think that this is a game they can win, so hopefully they will. Um, we will do a full cup final preview. We have our squad building pod now lined up and ready to go. It's in the hopper. That's going to come out for patrons in a few days. Um... And we'll just have content all week leading up to the cup final. And then all our transfer stuff. We've got uh, our Patreon transfer specials are going to be out. We've got some um, uh, journalists who cover the transfer market who will be joining us for that as well. So there'll be good stuff all summer long. But eyes on the prize. Cup final this weekend. Uh, it is the Arsenal Invitational. So it would only make sense if we should win it. Tim's on Twitter. At Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. For the love of God, man, don't come on another pod. Just go have a baby. <laughs> I mean, it's getting old. You're milking it now. <laughs> Um, I don't want to talk about milking it. There was an un- unpleasant analogy made on uh, the Instant Reaction pod by Paul. You'd be surprised to hear. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Uh, join us for all the pods this week as we, we line up for the cup final. We, uh, we're we so excited, though. I mean, it is it is a big, big moment and one that can really turn the whole season. And I think we, with everything we've endured, we deserve it. So I uh, can't wait. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Chelsea Nils. Awesome.